Well, let me see a show of hands of just surveying. How many of you have seen the Chevy commercial where the dad has lost his wife, the daughter gets the car out of the barn, restores it, and then gives it to her dad as like this Christmas present. And then they go on this stroll together and they're, they're tearing up and they're crying as they, as they drive. Have you seen this commercial? Let me see a show of hands if you've seen this commercial. Okay, I, I, I saw this commercial and, and I've seen it probably five or six times. And every time I'm just like, Oh gosh, like I just start my tears, you know, tears just start flowing, man. It's so like, it's such a powerful commercial. They're crying, I'm crying. My boys are like, dad, are you crying? I'm like, no, I'm not crying. It's happy tears, right? Happy, I'm not sad, I'm happy. No, no, I've noticed as I've gotten older um, that I've become more emotional. I, I, I cry more, more often. Some of you have, have seen that. Like if I, if I talk about my kids, I can get emotional. If I talk about my wife, Darby, uh, I can get more emotional than I used to in counseling with people at our church. Over the last five years or so, I've noticed that I've gotten a lot more emotional just even in counseling. I, 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 I feel the, the, the pain or I, I'm upset or I'm kind of mourning with someone over what they're going through or what they're struggling with. And so I, I've noticed that I've, I've felt it more. I've, I was never really a very empathetic or emotional person, but, but for sure as I've had kids, I think as I've had a daughter, right? I, I've just, I've become more emotional. I've noticed that I become a lot more emotional as I talk about Jesus and what he's done for me on the cross. It's something that has moved me more and more, not, not, not less and less. My, it's like my heart hasn't grown colder and colder to the news that I've heard over and over and over again. No, my, my heart's grown more and more emotional. It's, it's become more and more moved by the great news of the gospel as I've known Jesus longer and longer. L- l- let me ask you a question. Have you ever shed a tear when you're thinking about, when you're processing what God has done for you through Christ on the cross? Have, have, you, ever shed, have you ever shed a tear? How, how long has it been since you've shed maybe some tears? Your, your heart was moved emotionally because of what God has done for you in Christ. The, the problem here, the, here, here's the warning, kind of here's the danger before we can get started. If it's, if that's never happened, or, or, or maybe it's, it's been a while since you've experienced that kind of emotion, those, those, those tears, your heart's really been moved like that because of the great news of the gospel, then I, I'm, I just want to warn you, I think you, you might be in a dry spot. You, you could be in a bad place. Because what I found is the, the longer that you walk with Jesus and the more that you know him, the, the more and more sensitive your heart becomes to the great news of the gospel. Let, let me show you what I'm talking about in Luke chapter 7. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Now's a great time to open our app, the City Church Lubbock. You can download it in your app store and the verses and the points will be there for you. We're in the middle of a series where we're going through the gospel of Luke verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we study the scripture here at the City Church verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because we just believe that develops a deeper faith in God, a deeper trust in God, a deeper love for God, and a, a deeper sense of commitment to the mission of Jesus. 
and we're not just studying the scripture verse by verse, the gospel of Luke, and here we're inviting you on a journey to dive into the gospel of Luke with your church family, not just listening to messages in here, but through your city group, our small group Bible studies that are going to break down these same verses this week. Through our daily devotionals on the Bible study tab on our app, we'll talk about these same verses all this next week. Through the table talk with your family, which is another resource for families on the Bible study tab uh, of our app, where we, we offer you questions and further Bible study for you and your family to, to study the gospel of Luke together. Right now, your kids and our students are going to be learning these exact same verses and talking about some of these exact same things. And with the table talk, it's just a resource for you as a family to discuss the gospel of Luke together and what the Lord is teaching you. And, and here's our, our hope in the gospel of Luke, that we will all be drawn to Jesus. Paul said, I want to know him. In Philippians chapter, I want to know him. Uh, that, that, that knowing Jesus, here's what Paul said, is surpassingly greater than anything else this world or this life has to offer. He said, I consider all things a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. And so in our study of the gospel of Luke, that's our hope, that we will get to know Jesus. And maybe if you didn't care about that before, as we study it together, you're going to be like, I, I, I love Jesus. And, and maybe your heart is moved all over again to know Jesus. Like Paul, I want to know him. Man, that's my hope. That's my passion. Maybe if it wasn't there before, as we're studying the gospel of Luke, that you're, that you're beginning to say right along, Paul, I'm getting to know him and I want to know him more. I want to know Jesus. That's our hope. The surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus is better than anything else this world, this life has to offer. And it's why you're on this planet to begin with anyways. It's to know him. And so that's our Passion. That's our prayer as we study the gospel of Luke together. As we have uh, moved through the gospel of Luke, we're now in verse 31. Chapter 7, verse 31 through chapter 8, verse 3. And we're going to see two different responses to Jesus and what it says about their hearts and our hearts. And so Jennifer Bazaar is going to come and read. Would you stand as we read the word of God together this morning? Does anybody else hate public speaking? <laughs> Um, my name is Jen Bazaar. My husband, Michael, and I have been attending the City Church from the beginning. Um, we have four kiddos, Noah, Luke, Sam, and Lily. Noah's 14. Uh, Luke is 12. Lily is 6. And Sam is 8. I got out of order that time. <laughs> we've been attending Darby and Clayton City Group. Um, God, we've known them for 12 plus years. So, anyways. Uh, my husband and I serve here at the City Church. I serve in kids, and he serves on the finance team as well as he's a greeter. So, all right, verse 31. To what can I compare the people of this generation, Jesus asked? How can I describe them? They are like children playing a game in a public square. They complained to their friends. We played wedding songs, and you didn't dance. We played funeral songs, and you didn't weep. For John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home, sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar 
filled with expensive perfume. When then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping, her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave both of them, canceling their debt. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first you didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she was has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And then Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and disease. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Thank you, Jen. You can be seated. So in these verses, we see two different responses to Jesus. We see the response of this religious Pharisee named Simon. We see the response to Jesus of this irreligious, immoral woman. We see the difference between religious routine and someone who's been moved from their heart to show gratitude, to say thank you to Jesus. It's oftentimes, let's just be real, the difference between men and women. We see oftentimes many women, in fact, in this story, we, we see women who are moved in their hearts because of what Jesus has done for them and, and men who, because of their pride, ha have let that get in between them and their relationship with God. I'll never forget leading a college ministry called Raider Church with over a thousand students that would join us on Tuesday nights. Mark and I and several of our staff led this ministry before we planted this church and we, we met at a theater on Tex campus and we, we had 75% of those thousand kids were probably girls, right? 75%. The 25% men that were there were probably just there to find a woman, okay? That, that's probably why they were there for the girls, okay? It was a good place to go and find a wife. It was a great alternative, I guess, to wherever else you could go find a wife. They thought, these are some women we, we'd like to marry, right? So I think that's probably why they were, they were there for the wrong reasons. They were there for the girls who were there for the right reasons, right? This is oftentimes uh, indicative of what's going on in men and women. Oftentimes it's women who are more spiritual and it's men who, in their pride, do not seek God and have not been moved in their hearts by God. This is the difference between 
tipping your hat to Jesus versus actually bowing your knee to Jesus. This is the difference between religious routine and really loving, knowing, and experiencing Jesus. And so I want to talk about what's going on here for a little bit. Number one, here's what I think Jesus is, is telling us, that those who've been forgiven much, forgive much. Those who've been forgiven much, forgive much. That's the first theme I think we see in this passage. And in here, we're talking about more of a, a spirit towards the culture, a, a spirit that we have towards people who are, who are not like us. It's those who've been forgiven much are going to allow much. They're going to be patient. They're going to be gracious. They're going to be merciful. They're going to be forgiving. They're going to have that kind of spirit as they deal with both the Christian and the non-Christian. Paul says in Colossians and in Ephesians, because you have been forgiven much, he says, then you should make allowance for each other's faults. You make allowance for each other's. That's the kind of spirit that we see Jesus talking about here in this, in this passage, having this forgiving, allowing, patient, gracious, and merciful spirit. In the first place, we, we, we see this evident, or not evident rather, is in this generation that Jesus is talking about that act like children. He said, of the spiritual leaders of his day, and they represented many other people like them, they didn't like John the Baptist because they thought John the Baptist was too legalistic. They thought he was too extreme. And then Jesus says, you didn't like me because you, you think I, I hang around with sinners and I'm, I'm, I'm a partier and I hang out with people. So, so you accuse John the Baptist of legalism, but you accuse me of, of license. And so he said, you, you're just complaining and you're never happy because you're not getting what you want. And so he said, of these people, they had this religious spirit towards everyone. Instead of this gracious spirit, this patient spirit, this merciful spirit. He said, you didn't like the legalism of John the Baptist. You didn't like the license of Jesus. You can't ever satisfy you. And it's true. Most of us err to one side or the other. We err to license. We err to legalism. We typically err to one side or the other. If we err to license, then we reject the parts of the Bible that make us uncomfortable in our license, in our freedom that we feel like to sin and to do whatever we want. When the Bible speaks against something that I'm doing or my way of living, in my license, I reject that. I'm going to live in my freedom and I'm going to do what I want. I'm not going to deny myself and follow Jesus. No, I'm going to do whatever I want and whatever makes me feel good and whatever I think is okay or right. And because God's gracious and merciful and forgive, he'll just, he'll just forgive me. Well, Paul says an attitude like that reveals that you're not really one of us, that you were never really saved or a follower of Jesus to begin with if you live and act like that and if you believe like that. Because that's not in the way a follower of Jesus lives or acts or thinks. And so in our license, we... we get uncomfortable with the parts of scripture that say, no, this is how you're supposed to live. This is how you're supposed to act. And with Jesus saying, no, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. On the other flip, on the flip side of the coin, if we err to the side of legalism, then we don't like probably passages like this, where we see Jesus interacting with such a sinful, promiscuous woman. Instead of calling her out for her sin, we see him embracing her and encouraging 
her presence and her, and her responses to him. So, so regardless of which side of the coin we fall on, in our religious spirits, we don't make room for it. We don't allow for it. We don't have patience and mercy with people who are not like us. And we call out the other side for not living or talking like us, for, for not voting like us. We, we, we refuse this spirit of allowance that Paul is talking about in Ephesians and in Colossians. We see secondly in this example of Simon the Pharisee, his attitudes towards this immoral woman. Do you notice he says, Jesus, what are you doing? She's a sinner. Why are you interacting with her? Why are you talking? Why are you allowing this? She's a sinner as if he isn't. As if Jesus interacting with him isn't the exact same thing. She's a sinner. She's, she's not like us. She's, she's a sinner. You see, Jesus reveals here and in other encounters that you don't clean yourself up before coming to Jesus. You, you don't get your life together before you come to Jesus. No, the grace of God says you come as you are and when you meet Jesus and you follow Jesus and you walk with Jesus and you get to know Jesus, he heals you, he cleanses you, he puts the broken things back together. He's the one who fixes you and puts and makes everything Right, he brings transformation. You, you don't do that on your own and you certainly don't do it before you come to Christ. And as a follower of Jesus, if, you, if you've been walking with Jesus and you sin or you mess up, we don't fix ourselves before we come back to Jesus or before we come back to Christian community. No, we come back to Jesus. We come back to our faith community and it's in that community and it's in the presence of God that God brings grace and transformation to bring healing, to bring the fixing that we so desperately need. Daryl Balk in his commentary on Luke in this passage, he said this, the contrasting attitudes apparent in this text reveal a fundamental paradigm for relating to the world, for relating to our culture, to people who are not like us. That the Pharisee in his desire for purity separates himself from fellowship with sinners. He keeps a woman like the one who approaches Jesus at a great distance, thereby making it clear that her lifestyle is not endorsed. Jesus talks and preaches about sin, make no mistake. He has no problem talking about sin, preaching about sin, calling people to repentance. But he does not isolate himself from sinners, Bach said. He understands that in order for light to shine in the darkness, the light must engage the darkness. And so here we see that those who've been forgiven much, they, they forgive much. There's a spirit of allowance, patience, mercy, and grace. And when we deal with a culture, an unbelieving culture, or when we're dealing with someone who has walked away from the faith, we're, we're not introducing them to a do or a do not. No, we're introducing them to a who that will fix and will clean up the do's and the do nots. That's how we engage with an unbelieving culture, not posting and railing about an unbelieving culture and all the ways they get it wrong. No, we introduce people to a who, not something they need to do or something they need to stop doing. We're introducing people to a who. That's the spirit of allowance. That's the spirit of forgiveness and patience and grace and mercy that God has shown to you and to me as followers of Jesus. 
And it's the same spirit that we are to have as we interact with an unbelieving culture or maybe with people who are not like us. But some of us, like Simon, like these religious Pharisees, we forgive little, we allow little, we're patient with very little. We have very little grace because we think that we've been forgiven little, just like Simon. We think that we've been forgiven little. And so we forgive little. Secondly, second theme in this passage that that I see is that those who've been forgiven much, love much. Those who've been forgiven of much, love much. R.C. Sproul and his commentary on Luke said this, in the ancient world, it was customary for people to come in and spectate at larger dinner parties like this one, especially those held by somebody of dignity or respect or social status. It was unthinkable, however, to come in off the street, unannounced, uninvited, to a dinner party being held by a Pharisee, a religious person. It was unthinkable for an irreligious person to just show up to a religious person's dinner party, especially when they're hosting a rabbi, a teacher like Jesus. The irreligious could never come into a religious person's home in this culture, in this context. For a prostitute to do this was absolutely outrageous. This woman knew that she would provoke a scene but she was desperate to get close to Christ. And in so doing, she was humiliating herself in the presence of everyone there, but obviously she didn't care about that. As long as she could make this extravagant display of affection and love for Christ, she didn't care what other people thought. She was gonna show her gratitude for Jesus. And she was gonna push past all the, the outward show, all the expectations, all the norms of her day so that she could get to Jesus, so that she could be close to Jesus. Her actions are considered abnormal. They're considered inappropriate, over the top. And when she gets to Jesus, she can't even speak. She just weeps, not caring about public opinion. She just weeps in her tears fall on Jesus' feet. Now, scholars debate whether Simon was rude to Jesus because of the custom of his day, that he should have been more courteous to him as he came in, giving him oil to wash his hair and to wash his feet. And Jesus even points that out. But, but regardless, all scholars agree that Simon did the bare minimum here, if not worse. He was doing the bare minimum as he hosted Jesus. It was like he was tipping his hat, but not really showing any gratitude or respect or reverence. You see, some of us love little just like Simon because we think we've been forgiven little. And because we think we assume we've been forgiven little, we, we love little. So there's no emotion there's no passion in our worship, in our prayer, in our service to God. Our heart really isn't moved with affection for God. We, we might show up and just be in the room and go through the routine, go through the motions, but, but there's no real love or heart-motivated passion and emotion, worship 
for God. You see, no one would have expressed shock that there was a woman guest present at this party. As you heard in that commentary, that was normal for people to come in as a guest to overhear and to listen to the conversation that would have been happening at this dinner party. So, So no one would have been shocked by that in another circumstance. The scandal here is that a sinner, a known sinner, a reputable sinner, this prostitute has come in and drawn close to Jesus and shown such great affection. That's the scandal here. Which begs the question, what's going on in your heart right now? Are you just kind of good with being in the room, tipping your hat to Jesus, walking through the religious routine? Maybe in your pride, not showing emotion or affection for Christ and for what he's done for you on the cross because you think that would be weird. Because you care about what other people think, what they might say. You see, this is the difference between being entertained like you're an audience and being a community of disciples of Jesus that love Jesus. And and I just gotta tell you, I'm done with that. Our, our leadership, I, I've, I know from talking with them, I know many of you, we, we are done with that. I've had enough of that in my life, just leading audiences that listen and hear, but don't really engage and aren't really moved from their hearts. I, I'm done with that. That's not the kind of church we are. It's not the kind of church we will ever be as long as I'm leading this church. That is not who we are. We are done with audiences, with entertaining audiences. We are forming a discipleship community here of people that love, follow, worship, and serve Jesus. That's, what, that's the church. That's what we are forming here. A people who love Jesus, who love God from their hearts because they know they've been forgiven much, not little. And so they love much. That's the kind of community that we are forming here, that we are praying to have here, a community of disciples of Jesus that passionately love Jesus from their hearts. Those who've been forgiven much, love much. And then the third theme here is that those who've been forgiven much, give much. Those who've been forgiven much, give much. Romans chapter six, Paul says this, as Once we were slaves to sin and were instruments of sin and we used the instruments of our body and our resources for sin. Now we are servants of righteousness. We're servants of God. And so because we're servants of righteousness, we now use the instruments of our body, our time, our money, our resources, our our physical bodies, our hearts. We use those things now for instruments of righteousness. And so Paul says in Romans chapter six, what was once used as instruments of sin will now, because transformation has taken place by the power of the gospel be used for instruments of righteousness. Let let me show you what I'm talking about. This woman who was a prostitute takes her perfume that would have once been used to seduce men and she pours it out on the feet of Jesus. This is a very expensive perfume and to pour it out would have been a year's worth of salary for this woman. She just poured out a year's worth of salary on Jesus' feet. Can you, I mean, can you comprehend? Can, we, can you just let that set in for a second? A year's worth of your salary. 
That's what she poured out in this perfume on Jesus' feet. That's how expensive this perfume was. She pours it out on his feet. The perfume that was once used seduce men, to seduce men, an instrument of sin, she is poured out because of the transformation that has taken place in her. She is pouring out on the feet of Jesus to use as an instrument of righteousness, an instrument of worship. Those eyes that would have once been used to seduce men are now weeping tears of worship and gratitude on the feet of Jesus. Her hair that have once been used to seduce men for money are now being used to clean the feet of Jesus with her tears and this expensive perfume. These instruments of sin because of the transformation that's taken place in her heart are now being used as instruments of righteousness, instruments of worship, gratitude. The ladies in Chapter eight, verses one through three that are now following Jesus. Do you notice what it said? It says they were contributing to Jesus's ministry out of their own resources. Their lives have been changed. So now they're following Jesus and they're contributing of their own, they're contributing financially of their own resources to help Jesus so that he can travel and preach and take care of his needs as he does so. So they're so moved by Jesus and because they've been forgiven of so much, they're, they're giving much, they're giving of their own resources to fund the ministry of Jesus. You see, those who enter the faith community, those who become followers of Jesus, those who are Christians are not spectators for ministry. They're not an audience. No, rather they use their gifts and resources to serve Jesus to fund the spread of the gospel, the, the preaching of the great news of the kingdom. You see, some of us are giving very little of ourselves because we think we've been forgiven little. When we give little of ourselves, it just shows that we really think we've just been forgiven little. That's what Jesus said. It's revealing something in our hearts. When we give little of ourselves to the spread of the gospel and to the community of believers. What are you talking about, Clayton? Are you talking about time? Are we talking about money? Are we talking about my heart? What, what are we talking about here? Yes. Yeah, all of it. All of it. That, that's, that is what we're talking about. We're talking about all of it. Number one, to contribute to the spread of the gospel. That's what these women here are giving to. They're, they're giving to help Jesus continue to spread the great news of the gospel. You see, the scripture is clear that the church of Jesus Christ is God's plan A to take the gospel to the ends of the world. It's his plan A and there is no plan B. The church is God's plan A to reach the world with the great news of the gospel. So we contribute to the spread of the gospel. Secondly, we contribute our, our time, our money, our resources, our heart, to the community that is ministering to us, to the ministries and missions and facility and personnel and things like that that are being used by God to minister to me and to my family. We, we contribute to those things. We see that here in, uh, in 8 verse 3 where these women are contributing to Jesus' ministry. We see this in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 11 where the community of believers are bringing money and land and profits from land that they've sold and they're giving it to the apostles to distribute to others as they have need and to fund ongoing ministry. We see this in 1 
Corinthians chapter 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where money is brought from the churches to the apostles, to elders of certain churches, again, for the distribution to those who are in need and for the spread of the gospel. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, we see that elders are paid for preaching and teaching. So we contribute, secondly, to the community, to the faith community that is ministering to us, that's discipling, that's equipping our family. And then third, we're, we're contributing to help the poor and the ministries who are blessing the poor in our city in Jesus' name. So, so yes, we, we give much of our time, money, resources, heart, energy, influence, all these things. We give whatever we have to be used as instruments of righteousness, instruments of worship. Romans chapter 12 says it like this that we are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. That's our, that's our worship to God. We offer ourselves and everything about us and everything we've got, it's all a sacrifice. It's all a worship to you, God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 that those who now live in Christ will no longer live for themselves. They will live for him who died and rose again. Their time, money, all of it will be used for him who died and rose again. You see, those who've been forgiven much give much. Those who've been forgiven little, who think they've been forgiven little, give very little of themselves. But here's the truth you're the one with the larger debt in the story. I'm the one with the larger debt in the illustration that Jesus gives. We're the ones with the, the large debt that no one could pay back. That's you. And that's me. Because of your sin, you have infinitely offended a holy and righteous God. You've infinitely offended an infinitely holy and infinitely righteous and just God because of your sin. And I know some of you are here like, Listen, I'm a pretty good person. I grew up going to church. My first words were amen. I use all the Christian cuss words. Like, I don't really cuss. I use the Christian ones like flippin' and darn and shucks. I remember saying shucks to Darby one time. She's like, what is that? It's like, it's shucks. It's, you know, it's like a, you know, a Christian cuss word. She's like, what? I've never heard that before. You never heard of shucks? I don't know where you been, girl. Some of you are like, I, listen, I, I grew up in the youth group. I got all the shirts. I went on the mission trips. I went to youth camp. I was in the choir. I played the handbells at church. Any of you do that? My wife did that. She always jokes about having the white gloves with these bells, and they would do this routine up there with the handbells, you know, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> I didn't grow up with that. I don't know what you're talking about. Some of you, some of you are like, listen, I'm a pretty good person. I, my good deeds, like they've got it way outweighed got to way outweigh my bad deeds. See, that sin's called self-righteous pride. When you think you're actually a good person. Because the Bible says you're not. It says there's no one good, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of God's standing. Your sin is evil and wicked in the eyes of God. And self-righteous pride might be the worst of all because it keeps you from seeing your own sin and it keeps you from seeing the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the cross. It might be the worst because you can't even see it. Your sin, my sin, it's evil and wicked in the eyes of a holy and righteous God. In fact, if you go and read the, the book of Hosea about the prophet Hosea, God tells Hosea to go and marry this prostitute who continues to cheat on him over and over and over again. And he, 
God says, go, go get her, go get her. Bring her back, bring her back. And he told Hosea, I'm telling you to do this because Israel has been a prostitute that I've been wooing back to myself over and over and over again. And he says, Israel, because of your sin, you've been committing adultery on me. You see, that's the way God sees your sin and my sin. He sees it as adultery, even your self-righteous pride. You thinking that you're a good person, it's like adultery to God. That's the way that he views it. Like you've cheated on him. That's how he sees your sin. Your sin breaks the heart of God. And your sin was so evil and wicked that nothing less than the death of the one and only son of God could set you free from your sin. That's how bad, that's how evil your sin was. God had to give up his one and only son to die in your place. No, your sin is like adultery. You are the prostitute in this story. I am the prostitute in this story. But the great news is that by faith in the son of God, your sins, though they are many, just like this woman, your sins, though they are many, can be forgiven. When you place your faith in Jesus and his death on that cross, the payment of your fine for your sin, because you've broken God's law. When you place your faith in Jesus, Jesus said your, your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you well. Your, your faith, by your faith, Jesus said to this woman, your sins are, though they are many, your sins are forgiven. And the Jews, these Pharisees, they're like, what? Who does this guy think he is? How, why does he think he can forgive sin? Because here, here's what they knew. Here's what they believe. Only God can forgive sin. Only God has the authority to do that. But here's this guy declaring that this woman has had her sins forgiven by her faith in him. So their question, who does he think he is? Does he really think that he's God, that he can go around forgiving sin? And that's exactly who Jesus believed himself to be. By forgiving this woman's sin, he's claiming to be God in the flesh because only God can forgive sin. And then so they ask this question, who, who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? Our City 7 truth for this week is number one. The City 7 are seven foundational doctrines to the Christian faith that remind us of what we believe and why we believe these things. And, and number one, we're going over this week in, in all of our ministries and classes is this, who is Jesus? Well, I believe Jesus is God because Jesus said that he's God. He said, the Father and I are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he proved it by rising from the dead and appearing to his disciples, his brother James, who was his brother, right? And, and we know from the gospels that James and the rest of Jesus' family thought he was crazy. You would too if your brother said he was God, right? I've got three brothers. If one of them told me they were God, I'm gonna say, you're crazy, you're nuts, you're not God, right? Okay, if your brother told you they were God, you're gonna think they're nuts. Jesus' brother and the rest of his family, they thought he was insane. They thought, the gospels actually, they thought he was losing his mind because he was saying things like, your sins are forgiven, claiming to be God. He was saying things like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was saying like, God and I, we're, we're one. And so James didn't believe, but after James, his brother sees him risen from the dead, James gives his life to Jesus. In James chapter one, James says, the brother of Jesus, I am now a servant of my Lord and Savior Jesus. That's his brother. He's saying he's God and I'm his servant. Jesus appeared alive to more than 500 people at one time. Some people have said, well, the disciples are just kind of hallucinating Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Uh, you don't 
have 500 people all hallucinate the exact same thing at the exact same time. That, that's by definition not a hallucination. That's a historical event. And so 500 people saw Jesus risen from the grave. We learned that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then finally, Paul. Paul said, I didn't believe in Jesus. In fact, I was persecuting the church of Christ, but then I saw Jesus risen from the grave. And so Paul gave his life to Jesus and went from being a church persecutor to being one of the greatest evangelists and church planners the world has ever known. So, so we don't believe that Jesus is God just because our parents told us so or because we learned that in class or because we've got cute songs that tell us that. No, we believe Jesus is God because he rose from the grave proving that he's God. And he appeared to all these different people and they died as martyrs saying they saw Jesus risen from the grave. Not, not, not that someone told them. Plenty of people die for what they believe. No, these guys died for what they knew to be true or false. They're saying we were the eyewitnesses. We saw him risen from the grave. So, so we believe Jesus is God. And that's what we believe here. That Jesus is God and that he alone has the authority and the power to forgive sins, which is why we follow Jesus. Because he rose from the grave, proving that he's God, proving that he has conquered sin and death. So, so we follow Jesus. And, and, and here was so, what's so amazing about God is though our sins are many by faith in the son of God in Jesus, your sins can be forgiven. God dispenses grace upon grace. I love Romans chapter five. It says that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And then it says like this, grace rules. That's what it says in Romans five. Paul says, grace rules like a king. Like grace reigns over your sin like a king. Not, not like the rain we're hoping that's gonna pour here in a little bit, no. This is like a king that reigns. And Paul says grace, the grace of God reigns over your sin, no matter how great it is. Though your sins are many, by faith in the son, your sins can be forgiven. You see, here's what's so amazing about God. Though our sins are many, God has shovel loads of grace, mercy, patience, and forgiveness for you. You mess up shovel loads of grace because of the cross of Christ. You need patience, shovel loads of patience, shovel loads of mercy. Grace reigns by the shovel load over your sin. But what happens when someone needs grace, mercy, patience, forgiveness from us? Well, we gotta put this shovel up. That's not gonna work. God shovels grace and mercy and patience over us, but when someone needs grace and mercy and patience from us, they get, they get the spoon, not the shovel. Oh, you need, you need a little bit of grace? There you go, there you go, you got your grace. Oh, you need some patience? Oh, honey, here's some patience. Here's a little bit of patience. God's been infinitely by the shovel loads patient with me, but, but here's you some patience. Oh, you need some mercy? Oh, that's cute. Here's a little bit of mercy for you, all right? Here's, here's some mercy. I'm not even gonna turn the spoon over. We're just gonna give it a little bit of a tap so you just get a little bit of mercy, so you get a little bit of grace, so you get a little bit of forgiveness from me. God's been gracious to me by the shovel load, but you get the spoon from me. We, we celebrate the shovel. We sing songs about the shovel. We're going to sing songs about the shovel. We've received shovel loads of grace and mercy and forgiveness from God, but 
we dispense with the spoon to our spouse, to our neighbor, to our coworkers, to our family, to our friends. Oh, we're gonna sing songs about the shovel. But when we get home, we dispense with the spoon. And, and here's what I think Jesus is, is showing us in this passage with this story of this immoral woman, that, that what we dispense is a reflection of what we've received. What, what we're dispensing is a reflection of what we've received. And so if someone's getting the spoon from me, if my spouse is getting the spoon from me, if my worship is getting the spoon from me, if my witness for Christ is getting the spoon, if my church family is getting the spoon from me, it's not saying something about them. It's saying something about me. It's saying something about what's going on in my heart. And so what's the answer? You've been dispensing with the spoon. What's the answer? You've been forgiving little, allowing little, being patient, very little. You've been loving very little. You've been giving very little. What's the answer? Well, for most of us, the answer when we're faced with something like that is, well, you know what? I'm going to do my best this week to forgive a whole lot. And um, I promise, like pastor, I promise I'm going to love so much this week and I'm gonna do so much better at giving this week like I'm going to do better and I'm going to try harder. Listen, that is not the answer. I'm gonna tell you that almost every week. Your answer is to never do better and try harder. That's not the gospel. The gospel is it's done. And so the answer isn't to leave here thinking, I gotta do this better. I gotta try harder with this. No, 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 no. That's not the answer. You see, shovel Receivers are, are shovel dispensers. You're not gonna go out and, and do better and try harder this week because it's, it's about what you've received. It's about what you've experienced. You, you see, we, we don't forgive more and love more and give more because we need to be forgiven and we're, we're trying to please God. No, 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 that's not how it works. Those who've been forgiven of much, the, love much, give much, forgive much. That, that's, that's what happens there. We, we don't do these things to be forgiven and to be right with God. No, because we've been forgiven, because we've received shovel loads of grace and mercy, because we've experienced the shovel, we dispense with the shovel. And so, so it's not do better and try harder. No, it's you need to be overwhelmed by the grace and mercy and patience and forgiveness of God right now in this moment. That's your only hope. It's not attendance. It's not walking through this religious routine. No, you need to have an encounter with God. You need an experience with God that moves your heart, that breaks your heart over your sin. And, and out of that experience, out of that encounter with God where, where you experience the shovel 
and your heart is moved because of the shovel, then you're going to leave here and out of the overflow of that out of the overflow of the shovel, experiencing the shovel loads of grace and mercy and patience of God, you will leave this place able to dispense with the shovel because God has done something in your heart that you could never do for yourself. You know, years ago, I remember being at our Hope City location, that's at the Lubbock County Detention Center. We've got a couple hundred men that join us almost every week for worship and Bible study in small groups and, and they get all of our teaching there and, and, and the hope and the prayers that when they get out, we just tell them, hey, you're just transferring locations to, into the city church. And, um, Several years ago, I was there for a baptism service. And all we did for about an hour was baptize men who had given their life to Jesus through our ministry there at Hope City. And I'm in this room filled with 80, 90 men who've been incarcerated, who've given their lives to Jesus. And one right after the next is getting baptized Man, when they come up out of that water, tears are flowing, their arms are in the air, they're hugging everybody they can find and see. Why? Because they know they've been forgiven much. They realize it, they understand it. You see, you and I, sometimes we, we don't really realize it, we don't get it. We've just deceived ourselves, they, they get it. So they come up out of that water. They're busting up out of that water. They are so, this isn't routine. This isn't going through the motions. This isn't some religious thing. No, no, no. They come up out of that water and they are, tears are flowing. The men in that room are cheering. They're crying. Everyone's crying. I mean, everyone's excited. I'm in that room. Tears are flowing. And I'm just like, man, this is why we are here. This is what it's all about. These men's hearts are moved to cry and to worship and to cheer. They're not caring about what anyone else is thinking. And then, and then they come here a few weeks ago, I was introduced by, to, to several of the men that had gotten out recently and they're attending here now. And man, even when they, they come up and meet me and talk, they're, they're crying and they're saying how thankful and grateful they are for us and, and just to be here at our, our, our church now. They know they've been forgiven much. So they forgive much, they, they're forgiving. They're very gracious people. They love much. They give them themselves, almost all of them that get out and start, they immediately wanna serve and start volunteering. Like day one, like there's no, oh, well, we gotta figure this out and I don't know if I'm gonna have to, no, no, they, they, just, they start serving because that's what you do when you love and follow Jesus. You start giving of yourself. It's just, it's just what you want to do now. So the answer isn't do better and try harder. It's you need to know Jesus. Some of you don't. And the reason you've never shed a tear over what God has done for you in the gospel of Jesus Christ is because you don't know him. You've been going through the religious routine. You're, you're in the room. You're, you're part of the audience. You, you watch. you don't really know him. You haven't really experienced him. Or chances are you probably would have shed some tears like this woman did in this passage because of what Jesus has done for you. 
Or maybe you haven't shed a tear in quite a while because you haven't been following Jesus. And when you continue to say no to the Lord, the scripture says that your heart becomes hard. And so our our prayer, our, our hope in these moments that we have together is that God's gonna do something great in your heart right now and that you would experience shovel loads of grace and mercy and patience and forgiveness. And that maybe today for the first time, you wouldn't just tip your hat to Jesus, but you'd really worship him from your heart, knowing that you've been forgiven of much. Would you pray with me? Just right where you're at, just every head bowed, every eye closed. You might be here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe as, as we've talked this morning, you're like, I, that's not me. I don't really have that. Maybe I've just been going through the routine. Maybe I, I said some magic words to a prayer a long time ago thinking that was gonna do something, but, but my heart, my life's never really been different because of it. Listen, if that's you, you need to give your life to Jesus today. Though your sins are many, you can be forgiven of your sin and made right with God right now in a moment by a miracle of God that he does in your heart as you cry out to Jesus to save you from your sin. Jesus said, I came to save you, not condemn you because you stand condemned already. Because of your sin, you are condemned before God to spend eternity separated from him in a place called hell. And Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you. You're already condemned. I came to save you. And so maybe you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time. If that's you, jump on our app, fill out our connect form and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. For others of us, we, we need the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts right now, to soften our hearts. God, I just begin to pray right now. Holy Spirit, soften our hearts. Give us a spirit of repentance over our pride that's in our hearts, the self-righteousness that's in our hearts. God, move our hearts as you said you would do in the new covenant. You said you would take our heart of stone out and you would give us a heart of flesh that's sensitive to you, that loves you, that is moved by you. God, I pray that in these moments we could worship without reservation. We could worship with, with just total abandon like this woman did in this story. We don't care what anyone else thinks. We just wanna say thank you. We wanna show our gratitude because we've been forgiven much. Our sins were many and you saved us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. It's in your name we pray, amen. Would you stand as our team leads us in worship?